Centennial Dome with me, Essel Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. This is the podcast about Xennials, that's those born between 1977 and 1985, or to put it another way, those born slap-bang in the middle of the avocado bathroom craze. <laughs> I think it's coming back in again, you know. I've, I've been on Pinterest and I think it's back in. I think when people look around houses and they see an avocado bathroom, people are like, well, we're not touching touching this. <laughs> God, bathrooms were weird when we were kids, weren't they? Did you have carpet in your bathroom? Yeah, so my parents only got rid of theirs a couple of years ago. What's that about? I mean, the amount the amount of water that has seeped through there over, you know, 20 years. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Although coming out of the bath, I know you, you're meant to have a bath mat as well, but then you have to step off the bath mat onto something. Yeah. And you're still a little bit wet. So actually... I don't mind a carpeted bathroom. It's just well, it's just the idea you're stepping onto a you're stepping onto what is essentially a bath mat that hasn't been washed in the best part of twenty five <laughs> years. You're stepping onto a bath mat that hasn't been washed since Thatcher was in there, <laughs> was in number ten, aren't you? Like if you think yeah. about it, what you've done is um, it, yeah, it's a fitted bath mat. Um, right, we should push on. Because it's a really great episode this week. We had the wonderful comedian Jessica Foster Q. You may have seen her on Motherland, QI, Cuckoo on BBC. Um, Also, her show uh, Hench was nominated for the Comedy Award at Edinburgh in 2019. She's very funny and very insightful on all things annual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You may also know Jess from her podcast Hoovering, which is brilliant, in which she talks to people about food and their relationship with food and growing up with um, sort of how they dealt with food growing up. And so when we talked about Xennials and food, it really felt like she had done... It's, it's like she's done the research. She really knows uh, exactly <laughs> what we've all been eating um, for the last 30-odd years. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you'll really enjoy it. So this is 1983 and Henches. Jessica Foster King. I don't understand enough about... I, I do feel quite millennial in the things that I care about. Okay. Um, and the sort of points of reference, but maybe not from childhood. Maybe I've sort of got less and less mature as I've got older <laughs> and attached myself <laughs> to slightly younger fads I think that's potentially what's happened um also if I'm honest I've never really understood what the proper brackets were for different generations right um yeah but it does make sense doesn't it it's a lovely portmanteau yeah so the idea was that uh 1980 was like the cutoff point between generation x and millennials right because then millennials might be born between 19 I think 1981 1996 but that's quite a big window to yeah. go, these yeah, people cause, had cause, the same childhood. Yeah, so I was born in 1981, and I feel... So I'm technically a millennial, but I'm really grumpy a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't feel I've got that, like, millennial sheen to me in any yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think um, yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Like, you've got... if you, We are not... You and I are not going to have the same... I've had the same upbringing as someone who was born on the cusp of Blair's legacy. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah I, I, I grew up in, in a time where our politics was so much more like black and white in that sense. I remember asking my mum, like, what is a Tory? And they're going, well, it's 
So Tories want um, rich people to get richer and poor people to get poorer and Labour want everybody to um, have enough and have a fair and similar amount. And I was like, how could... so I don't understand how anyone could be a Tory then. Like she just, and then she was like, yeah, and that's that. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think your mum let slip her own political leanings then. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think mum, I think it might be... So marginally more nuanced than that. Yeah. <laughs> no, not in 1986, it wasn't. Um, yeah. So talking of your family then, were, were your family uh, ready to embrace what the 80s and 90s had to offer? Were you the sort of family that were on the cutting edge of stuff or, or not? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, no, absolutely not. Not as a child. I have a stepdad who... I know from, he wasn't in my life until my late teens. Um, but I know from borrowing items of his for an 80s party that he was very much on the cutting edge and still is. Like, he's got an electric car now. Like, he's always got the latest model of a phone. Like, he gets the actual upgrade as it comes out. He's that guy. So when I was a teenager and going to, already to an 80s party... I borrowed one of the first ever mobile phones that he had that had a battery suitcase attached to it with a big curly wire. And it was about as big as a brick, genuinely. It was really... And he'd got... Yeah, he'd got that to make calls away from the home. What sort of year would that have been? Early 80s, presumably. Absolute whopper it was. I imagine that case must have overheated constantly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like if Mac yeah, probably had, overheat. you could probably buy a fan that you also had to carry around with it, couldn't you? You could only use it in a in an air well air conditioned room. Uh, it's yeah, it's pushing the idea of a mobile phone to its very limit, isn't it? The idea <laughs> yes. you carry this enormous thing around. Um, well, what we'll do is just to find out if you bleed, Zeniel. Um, yes. We've got a couple of questions to just get the sort of sense. Uh, do you still remember your friends' landline numbers? Yeah, yeah, they're still there, aren't they? Do, do you want to read any of them out, <laughs> do you wanna, just in case they're still there? Um, I can't remember whose is whose. I get Sally and Myers mixed up. Uh, Forty-nine uh, and forty-six. We'll yeah. beat them out, but just for anyone Great. listening, you absolutely <laughs> nailed that. <laughs> you did, actually. <laughs> and what yeah. we'll do afterwards, we'll give them a call and just check you got it right. But that's... <laughs> you go, I'm, I'm glad you're going to beat them, because as I was saying them, I was like, I think their parents still live there. Yeah. And no, they, they, they will mind, definitely... I bet their parents don't pick up the landline anymore. Did you used to ask Jeeves? I didn't used to ask Jeeves. I do worry I was quite computer illiterate until... Um, yeah, quite late. Like I didn't get my first mobile phone until I was, uh, I think, 15. And I saved up. For, my parents refused, but I saved up um, from tokens off bottles and cans of Diet Coke that you could cut little tokens off and get this little solid Nokia brick, um, which I then had for two years before realising it even did text messages. Were you resisting this, as in... No, with, no, no, just an idiot. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, just very slow off the mark with that stuff. And still to this day, if something's new, I'll be very frustrated about it and annoyed about even having to learn it. Really annoyed. And um, and then once I've learned it, I'll be like, mm, well, it wasn't that bad. You sound like my mum, who 
finally a pandemic got her to do online banking like she just oh. said it was like oh well you know this i may as well now <laughs> yeah i mean she she wow. kept thinking well i'm gonna be dead soon i mean she's only in her early 60s but she was like i'm gonna be dead soon i don't need to bother with all that stuff i love it my mum doesn't do online banking still and my dad doesn't trust contactless payment Ooh. yeah and neither of them will ever use like pay on your phone Stuff right. like that. It's funny, isn't it? But then <laughs> I think once, I bet by the time I'm in my 60s, I will, my parents are similar age, but I will, I'm sure I'll be similarly <laughs> terrified of the retina scan that I'm paying for my coffee with. Like, okay. Um, do you remember where you were when Diana died? Yes, I do. I was on holiday in France with my family. We'd been camping for a couple of weeks and as a treat, we were staying in like a, Oh, what do you call it, a jeet? Like a massive house that had a load of rooms and it's quite like lovely and cool and big and run down. And um, uh, it was me and my cousins and aunt and uncle and parents and the lovely chap who ran that place we were all staying in woke us all up in the middle of the night and um, was quite upset and shocked that none of us really cared and all resented having been woken up. <gasps> Sorry. We, oh, God, is that terrible? I was, um, in, in fairness, I was 13, so I wasn't a great guy. Like, I was 13, I thought the world revolved around me. I sort of prided myself on how little I cared about like, stuff like that. I think if it had happened now, I'd be like, oh, poor lady, whereas at 13, I was like, uh, whatever. <laughs> Being in France, they thought that we have British people yeah. on the campsite. We yeah, must do gonna, our duty yeah. and... They're, they're probably going to want to get home early. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's really funny as well, not. because when you said you were in France, I immediately became suspicious. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was so much conspiracy around it. I thought, how, how close were you to the car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, add it to the theory part. Not... <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, it. If it oh, and basically, I mean, you, you've you've touched on the the whole mobile phone thing already. But if a character in a film has a car phone, do you still immediately assume extreme wealth? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, extreme. <laughs> it's a very funny question. I, I absolutely do. Yeah, even now, when I walk past somebody who's having some sort of out loud conversation within their car, you can hear a phone ring. It's one of the rare times where you hear like a ring ring sound, isn't it? It's when people have got their phone connected to their flashy car. And um, yeah, I think, ooh, (laughs) (laughs) when I hear that, even though my car does it. And it's a function I use whenever, whenever, and it's only ever my mum, it's the only person I have phone conversations with, or or once in a blue moon my dad, but like, yeah, the, when the phone rings in the car, I think, get me. Yeah, I'd not thought that, but now we're back to the proper car phone where it comes through properly and it's it's integrated with your, it's all, it's all people want in life, I think, is to just yeah. take a call. I did notice during the first lockdown, if I went for a run, I would just run up the street and I would say, like, about a third of the cars had people just sitting in their cars taking phone calls. <laughs> Where I think yeah. they've just gone, going outside to go on the phone. <laughs> like, I think just 
get a yeah, bit of peace yeah, and yeah. quiet. Absolutely, so the only option for any privacy. My mum's always been quite scathing about people who who counted it as a picnic or an outing to just drive somewhere slightly different, stay in the car and eat a sandwich. And in the lockdowns, she did that absolutely loads with my nana. She was like, what else could we do, actually? Just sit somewhere, point the car at a nice view. Don't let her out. <laughs> She's really old. Have a nice sandwich. You say point the car at a nice view. Around here, people were just parking next to the tip and just doing exactly it's exactly the same people are like dreaming of the day when that opens again uh, just staring at the metal recycling well that ages us even calling it a tip that's like they're all called the recycling and refuge refuse center aren't they now i used to love going to the tip when i was a kid i loved it we take all the bottles and smash them into the bot- special bottle one really cathartic yeah i was annoyed that because of the pandemic, they've entered a... Um, I live really close to a tip. It's brilliant. Yeah. And they've entered, oh, like, a scheduling lovely. system. And I I hate it, because I just liked the... Oh, I'm just going to the tip. I like, I like the whim yeah. of a tip visit. And I know, now, now I it's in the diary. to book into the tip. And during the lockdown, I, I scheduled a trip to the tip, and I absolutely sold it to my five-year-old as being a genuine adventure. Um, <laughs> as I did every supermarket trip and then other allowed activity... And then when we got there, we got a massive bollocking because I was letting him throw stuff in. I thought, that's part of the joy of it. But children were meant to have stayed in their car. Yeah, I I was going to say, actually, it's one of the luxuries um, from the last few months for me because they won't allow kids to go. So Uh, I'm just on my uh, own. And it's just bliss. (laughs) I think we turn this into a podcast about tips. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. genuinely starting to think we sack off this Zennials business <laughs> and we just concentrate on which what goes in what bin. Yeah, Gareth, if you ever move from that house, assuming you own it, you- I hope you make I hope you make sure that the proximity to a tip is very high up on its right move listing, right up there. A lot of people will be looking for that in a property. I have to <laughs> say, to I know we want to move away from the tip, but I will just say <laughs> my. <laughs> My memories, though, of tips was that it was basically just all the rubbish in one place, apart from aluminium cans. Everyone wow. was so shit hot on aluminium cans back in the 80s and 90s, but everything else was just, you know, just piled that up. On your podcast, Hoovering, uh, you get people on to talk about their favourite foods and their relationship with foods. When you have someone on, do you ever notice any pattern with what they pick based on their age? So if you have like a boomer or a millennial on, can you kind of gauge what they might bring to the table? Yeah, it's such an interesting um, point, actually. I've not... It's so funny. There have been lots of shocking universal things that have panned several generations, but there were... Um, sort of, so the podcast is sort of more about eating than about food and it's about people's relationships with eating and that's um, so the sorts of things that come up were um, the, the, whatever the fashionable diet myths were of the time do you know what I mean for each generation so um, boomers will have had grapefruit diets and all of these sort of restricted like, um, and then actually by um Younger people, more like Gen Z, maybe uh, younger millennials were sort of the birth of juicing and all of that stuff. Whereas the Zennials and the older millennials, keep calling this geriatric, don't they now? 
millennials. But um, we had, we, it seems, well, in terms of the food that people love, stuff comes up a lot, of, like the, the end days of the best processed food comes up a lot. There's a lot of love for Finder's crispy pancakes. Um, it's just straight up fish cakes, stuff like that. Anything, anything coated in a very fine layer of bread cup crumb, kind of magically stuck by some kind of edible glue to something frozen. There's a lot of love for, from, from people my age. It's really funny um, how that and- breadcrumb kind of layer is like our equivalent of like medieval, just put salt on everything. <laughs> just salt all yes. the meat. It doesn't matter how old it is. But with us, it's yeah. just, just put some breadcrumbs on it. Be fine. Yeah. Well, we were also the generation who, and this gets spoken about a lot, who who had salt really demonised at some point. Having already learnt to love it, we suddenly were like really not allowed salt. Um, and now we're sort of coming slightly back out of that and it's it's going through a rebrand of seasoning, which is really comical. Um, also, our generation, um, we had a, a bit of time, much like we had... For, like a little bit of Thatcher. <laughs> um, we had a little bit of time where we were still very much told that fat is very bad for you to eat. Um, whereas people even, I would probably say seven, ten years younger, were all re- very much in the, no, 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 it's carbs that are bad. Tuck into the fat. And then you've got the younger ones again, who for them it's like, oh, no, no, it's sugar. It's actually like a cocaine. You basically had cocaine if you've had a Mars bar. Like it's like, so it's so funny watching the fashions of um, the foods that get demonised and lauded as being, you know, poor people, my parents, like boomer generation have literally went through, I think there was a decade where every year it was like, eggs are going to kill you. Eggs are the best thing ever. Eggs are going to kill you. Eggs are the best thing ever. And they just had to swap. Like they'll be like, oh, I had three eggs today. Oh no. And, yeah. Oh, but and, oh, I am meant to have five tomorrow. Like really intense flip-flopping between health advice on eating. Oh, all I was going to say was that answer felt like going through 15 years of my life in about 35 <laughs> seconds of just yeah. all these things going like good grief you're right yes there was that bit <laughs> just all flying at me in one go yeah yeah i feel like my life Ridiculous. was ruined by flora light oh grim. so i spent most of my formative years eating light margarine <laughs> oh me too. And buying light mayonnaise and being like, do you know what? It tastes the same. So I don't know why anyone would buy normal mayonnaise. It's like light mayonnaise just tastes the same. But then they brought one out that was like extra light. And I was like, no, that takes a, that tastes of piss and eggs. That tastes of old people's homes. And I, that is horrible. You've taken it, the lighter one, you're like, yeah, you've taken it too far. Definitely. Anyway. I mean, I eat so much better now. And I feel like it's an actual protest against <laughs> everything that was spread on my bread from the 80s to the late 90s. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, because I I was trying to recall what we were taught in school and I seem to remember that everything was taught to us, especially in primary school around nutrition and food, was all to do with your teeth. It all (laughs) came down to how it affected your teeth. Yes, it's so obsessed. true. Yes. I mean, you must have yes. had dentists come into your school. Yeah, we had all of that and there was that was absolutely it, like really terrifying pictures of black teeth and brown teeth if you didn't it was a real point of pride, wasn't it? There must have been a real push in our in the in the late 80s or the mid 80s to make sure kids got rid of this skanky little brown teeth. Mustn't there? Like and it was yeah, lots of sugar sugar mongering fear. Yeah, 
I do remember that as well. A lot of teeth-focused nutrition advice. Yes, definitely. So, like, how important milk was and stuff for your teeth, and then sugar was just all bad. Yeah. All of it was bad. But again, more because of your teeth rather than anything else. <laughs> like, nothing to do with your blood yeah. or, you know, your, your general yeah. health. Um, because uh, <laughs> our producer, Iwan, reminded me how... Um, we used to be given these tablets and they were sometimes red, sometimes blue and you had to chew them and it would show up the plaque on your teeth. Do you remember that? Did you have that? No, I didn't ever get, I would have loved to go at that. Because my, my mum was a primary school teacher and at the point she retired, they were bringing in, I bet it's gone because of COVID, but the children would clean their teeth twice a day in school, which I certainly wasn't Ooh, a thing. Wow. Yeah, I don't wow. think it happens everywhere, but yeah, she said that up to your two maybe three they were cleaning their teeth in in class twice a day so they've oh definitely God, kept I'd the... love that if they took that off my hands <laughs> i would she... love them to bring that back my mother implied it was bloody chaos i bet i know how hard it is to get one five-year-old to brush his broom and pegs i'm gonna admit it once a day yeah <laughs> it, it's really funny how um because i remember talking to my dentist um a couple of months ago about my son because my son's four now and i, I kept asking him because i couldn't remember when they can when are they allowed to brush their teeth without any observation <laughs> like without me kind of hanging over them and he's like oh well you know once once they can kind of write their own names they should be able to to manage it he can write his own name, but when he brushes his teeth, he's just chewing it. Like, he's literally <laughs> yeah. just chewing down. It's like, you're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot. <laughs> well, at least the bit he's chewing will get really clean. He's only small. I we think he's quite... just ingesting plastic, though. It must just be coming yeah. off of him. <laughs> we had quite a, um, uh, I don't know what the word would be, a... Uh, proactive dentist when we were who who really thought like right if we sort this out with children young then they'll be they'll yeah. be good for life teeth wise and he invented a superhero that i think he drew i think he drew <laughs> and then he made cartoons which he then I, I think it was him who did the voiceover so he'd make like oh, static wow. frame paddington style almost like just like a thing a drawing and then he would do the voiceover, make it into a video, and then that would be the video in the waiting room. So as you sat and waited, you watched the origin story of the superhero Wonder Bunny. <laughs> and I was quite old when I realised that if you didn't come from Neath, you didn't know who Wonder Bunny was. Wow. Um, Wonder Bunny <laughs> ate a magic carrot that made his teeth very strong. And I don't know what he did with this power. Um, but we were definitely meant to be quite uh, enthused by that and mm. be like Wonder Bunny. But yeah, that's my, that's my main it. memory of dentists is, is Wonder Bunny. And he also sent a they sent us a Christmas card every year with a picture of Neath um, with the church in the centre of Neath, and then just surrounded by mouths with grinning teeth. It was quite frightening oh, thinking back to oh, it, <laughs> sort of like flying towards you. I think he was quite an artist at heart, Mary... our dentist. <laughs> there are so oh, many weird things dear. about that story. Like, for, for one, who gets a Christmas card from their dentist? Yeah, we always got a Christmas card from our dentist. He had a project. What was it? It was called something like Teeth 2000. And I don't know what the goal was. Just finally trying to get people to grow more teeth. 
Yet. <laughs> Thousands of teeth. I will text my mum after this and go, what was the teeth 2000 thing? <laughs> there was definitely a goal. And we moved before the year 2000, I so I never know if he made it or not. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know if I helped or didn't help by moving away. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten the, the horrible birthday uh, Christmas card. Um, I mean, yeah, because like, I think we had puppets. I think when our dentist <laughs> used to come to school and she had puppets and there was obviously a crocodile because that's, you know, teeth. And, um, <laughs> and there was definitely a princess, you know, to appeal to girls because obviously, and you know, oh. well, 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 how can we get girls to brush their teeth? Well, if princesses brush their teeth, they'll, 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 They'll look it out. Bloody hell. Oh, so maybe I'll find a prince and have really nice, healthy teeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, because it it's one of those things where, again, it's the, it's the straddling thing. Because when we were younger, our grandparents probably exclusively all had false teeth. So, mm. you know, old people were always associated with having false teeth. Whereas now, so, you know, my parents are grandparents and they don't have false teeth. Oh, because, yeah. Yeah, because oral health is, you know, <laughs> it's right up there. The puppets oh, work. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that mad? Yeah, I've got a, a granddad and a nana left. He takes his pegs out. She doesn't. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I hadn't noticed that. Within a generation, we've skipped false teeth dentures an old person at a sort of christening quickly whipping their teeth out to make the kids laugh that's like an absolute rite of passage yeah i'm really sad if that's going when my grandfather used to do that weird thing where he'd like flick them around and you'd go what the hell just happened i'm really sad if that's gone also i mean a generation before that apparently it used to be not everywhere but in some places it used to be like you often got as a wedding gift your teeth smashed out by a dentist and pop the fake ones in just to save you the trouble of them rotting soon. <gasps> As like a wedding gift, you'd get your fake teeth. So you stopped having to worry about your gross rotting real teeth. Wow. Because my, my, one set of my grandparents, um, they'd had dentures since they were really young. And so, so, you know, they didn't give a fuck about their oral health anymore. They had a mini fridge in their bedroom and they used to eat chalk ices in bed. <laughs> like, oh my God, Why I love not? Them. You know, I don't have to care yeah. about my teeth anymore. Chalk ices in bed, yes, please. Chalk ice, that is a boomer's parent ice cream of choice. That is, I don't know what boomer's mums and dads are called, but my, oh yeah. My grandparents are big fans of chalk ices. There was never not a chalk ice in the freezer. Just a boring oblong of chocolate coated. Yes. The, the most efficient use of vanilla. freezer space. It's just yeah. slotting yes. nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Love of chalk really, ice. Really, good. really thin chocolate. And yeah, also, almost pointless. Uh, oh, yeah. thank God for magnums. Thank you. <laughs> nice bit of thick chocolate on a handy wooden stick. Finally. Yeah. That's evolution. <laughs> <laughs> right so we have asked you uh, for this episode to bring something to put in the zenial dome uh what have you brought i have brought um i'm going to describe them in the way as i remember them um massive baggy jeans sometimes known as spliffy x jeans 
keep off the grass jeans. Yes, I always call them spliffy X keep off the grass jeans. They were the baggiest jeans. I think they were technically meant to be skater jeans. They sometimes had even a lining inside. They were so big. Um, They obviously did up around the waist because they were a trouser, but then they just went out and on and on and on and on. Huge, great big baggy jeans. And I was wearing these up to the point of going to university in London. I remember getting up London and being delighted to find that lots of other people from all over the other bits of the world were also in these deeply unflattering, crazy-ass trousers. They sound so cool. So cool. Thank you. (laughs) What did you pair them with? What, what, What would you wear on your feet? Huge, oversized like 90s t-shirts and because I grew up by the seaside it was all surfing brands so animal and um early white stuff when white stuff wasn't sort of bohem mum togs it was like actual sort of surfer surfer dude gear oh there was I I've done quicksilver that my mum always malapropped and called silverfish <laughs> um, yeah, those, were, those were the brands that we that we all hankered for. With, with trainers, yeah. with massive big trainers. Massive trainers, yeah, the sort of felt kickers. The sort of felt top, kind of shit converse, but like furry, yeah, but with like a sort of padded sole, like an orthopaedic converse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, with baggy, yeah. And then in the, and the, and like the skinny girls would wear the great big baggy jeans, maybe with like a crop top. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a T-shirt, but like tied in a knot to show their belly button piercing. <laughs> That's my yeah. one regret that I never got a belly button piercing. Me too. I wish oh, I'd done it. I just was never getting it. my guts out. Should let's we do, do it, it now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've had I... our babies. Let's get our belly buttons pierced. I mean, no one's going to see it. Like the skin is just going to cover it completely. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. In there, <laughs> it's piercing. It's so gross and creepy. I, I did read Deep somewhere. Deep down that hole. Yes. <laughs> I read somewhere recently that Gen Z oh, no. are trying to bring back the belly button piercing. Okay, well, we'll see how they get on and then see if we want to join in. <laughs> Do you remember, lo- I feel like loads of people's worked their way out and they'd have to get them redone. Like, I feel like it's the one piercing that Body has sort of regularly really tried to reject. <laughs> <laughs> Please get get out. I remember loads of people, the people that kept it in, you know, didn't just take it out, were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's got too close to the surface again now. You're like... Grim. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because it's really interesting, those jeans, though, because, like, I I can't remember girls wearing those jeans. For oh, me... Sorry, sorry to break it to you. That, that, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think quite a few of my things, it turns out, were quite, yeah, were, weren't the girly thing. I didn't do the... Yeah, fair play. There were these these two brothers in school, in high school, and they used to wear them. And they were the two brothers who, during school discos, would clear the floor and break dance for five minutes and then just just leave. Oh, my God. So that's my recollection of those jeans. Well, I'm pretty happy to be associated with those damn cool brothers. I definitely... I I feel like the moment I... 
when when you said what it was going to be, and I searched for it to go, am I picturing the right ones? I definitely picture like a specific skater shop in Swansea that my brother and his yeah. friends would go in and out of, and I'm like, yes, they all. That is exactly the outfit there. And then I searched, <laughs> and I found out that SpliffyJeans.com still exists, <gasps> but but doesn't sell jeans. They just sell oh. hoodies and hats and t-shirts with the logo on, but they've not actually been bold Ooh. enough. To actually make the jeans again. So I think that feels like it's one step too far even for them. Um, <laughs> I love it. The bum bag is allowed a resurgence, but not the spliffy jeans. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I just I just love the fact that now the Zenial Dome is gonna have just a full display of these jeans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the the Jessica Foster Q kind of section <laughs> range and would there be any further uh items of how, what's the best phrase for this i mean they were called spliffy jeans is it like just dope head clothing like t-shirts with yeah, cash and things yeah. like that although i say that none of us really smoke dope <laughs> we just really like the kind of we just like the look <laughs> we were we weren't cool enough to do that we just, yeah, isn't that funny that you just appropriate looks? I mean, much in the same way that, like, like low-slung jeans that came way after, but, like, people wearing their jeans, like, underneath their bum. That's like a prison look that just got trendy. You know, not everybody who wears their jeans underneath their butt cheeks has all done time. Some of them are children. <laughs> Thinking about Spliffy Jeans, were there any other zenial teenage items of clothing that you... That you would like to see a resurgence of, that you think? Uh, as a teenager, we also, before, and this is before sort of moving to the big smoke, we all, and this might have been a countryside thing, I don't know if this was universal, we were very into um, sports labels. We really wanted, um, you know, we had a, there was a type of um, sport, like sports trouser called a sheen, and I don't know if it was actually called that, it was like a shimmery silky material and it had poppers down the side and we'd my friend Maya had some white ones that she wore with heels (laughs) (laughs) and I had some red kappa ones they had to be labeled I remember having a furious rouse with my dad when I was about 13 he was like who gives a shit about labels and capitalism you know and I was like me I really <laughs> struggle to justify it now. Um, much like my reaction to Diana at the same time. wasn't I wasn't my best self at 13. Um, uh, yeah, uh, lots of labelled sports garments. And um, yeah, I suppose like uh, oh, massively overpriced loungewear um, that we then pimped up with. And we all had the same horrible super drug makeup we wore. Loads of shimmery eyeliner. We all had one called Coffee Shimmer from Superdrug. There was a peach lipstick we all wore. We all looked very sort of glossy and um, sticky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, those were the... uh, uh, And earlier than that, I had a big waistcoat phase. (laughs) I loved a waistcoat around... Between the ages of about eight and ten, big waistcoat fan. My cousin Dan got one from um, the Disney store in Kingston-upon-Thames that had the Tasmanian devil on it that I was I still to this day have enormous jealousy of. Mine are all from charity shops and stuff. And, and I think the waistcoat phase, I vaguely remember, even my parents, who didn't care, they sort of let me get on with it. Even they were relatively like, oh, what's she doing about that? <laughs> 
I often had a big, big baggy T-shirt and then a little, little waistcoat under yes. that. Yeah, no, it's really that. funny because you were because you're a couple of years younger than me. So when you were going through your waistcoat phase, I was going through my waistcoat phase, but I was in high school yeah. and I used to wear them to discos, to school discos, and exactly the same, like massive, big, kind of billowy white shirt. Yeah, a really tight waistcoat, usually yeah. with um, either velvet or sequins or both. Sometimes a floral swirl. Floral swirl and elephants. Yeah, oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah. Leggings, Doc Martens, mm. choker. Choker! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, choker, scrunchy. Scrunchy, yes. Coffee shimmer. Yes. <laughs> it's really funny, though, because when you think back, like it was such a confusing time, I think, for girls because... Mm. Because so many girls in the um, public eye, when it came to like music, especially, I'm thinking about Justine from Elastica. Yeah. Boys really fancied her and she was a bit of a tomboy. Yeah. But you were still expected to be quite feminine. So yeah. like you were saying about your friend wearing like, you know, sports trousers, but with heels. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of like complete confusion because you're like yeah. well I, I want the boys to like to think I'm one of the lads but also I want to look you know my, my but, bum but, looks so let much them know. in heels I'm DTF yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the line we were all desperately trying to turn extreme availability but also like just one of you guys yeah did, did you yeah. get much action in high school yeah yeah. We were all <laughs> disgusting. I am. Um, I've got a. <laughs> we didn't have anything else to do. We got busy. Um, we 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 were not discerning enough. I'm so overjoyed at how things have changed. I've got an 18 year old half sister who I saw for the first time in ages recently. We went for lunch, and um, you know I did that old lady thing of saying, "Any um, any." Any any boys on the old horizon? <laughs> and she said, oh, no. She said, I can't. She said, have you met an 18-year-old boy? They are horrid. And she went, I, I've got no desire whatsoever. Like, I look at people who've got a boyfriend and think, I don't want that. She was like, I'm going to have a hot girl summer. And I was like, wow. I was like, at that age, I was like, please, may anybody get off with me? Like, a night wasn't a success if I didn't pull. Like, I was... Absolutely. <laughs> I've got no regrets. I had loads of fun and I, no harm was done anywhere. But yes, I was, I was, we reveled in promiscuity. But at the same time, we did it all before we had any sort of feminist sense of empowerment about it. We'd be like, you know, we'd be disgusted by ourselves while we were doing it. You know, it was before we, were, we sort of actively slut shaming ourselves whilst also being desperate to be constantly getting laid by different people. But in our minds, it was it was just what the search for love entailed. <laughs> the fairy tale. Yeah, the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. Of, being, of being fingered up the castle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a newspaper recycling bin once. <laughs> yeah. It's Absolute just because I do feel quite nonsense. jealous. And quite, that's quite... why you like a tip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, Mic drop. oh my god i'm reliving so much here (laughs) oh yeah because i i i have to say i've got quite fierce jealousy towards young girls these days because they are so 
sure of themselves and that they don't need anyone. And it's like, do you know what? I don't want kids and you can't ask me why. And it's like, oh, could you? Could you choose not to have gay? What? <laughs> I yeah. thought that was like, you had to. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Was there a thing, looking back, that you go, oh, that was the first thing that was like mine and not my parents or my siblings, be that like music or TV or something? Was there something where you went, yep, yeah, this is mine, 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 mine? Mm. Or was that the waistcoat? <laughs> <laughs> No, they were probably hand-me-down from someone. Yeah. <laughs> My parents listened to some of the best and some of the worst music I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so, so, like, amazing Northern Soul and stuff like that. And also, like, just brilliant, some brilliant voices and some random, like, 80s alternative, um, like, people like Julia Fordham and Horse. On Also, loads of Mick Hucknall, loads of Simply Red. At Lighthouse Family... Uh, my mum got defensive, actually. I saw her recently and she, and she said, I said, you listened to some shit music when I was growing up. And she went, no, we didn't. I think we listened to great music. And I went, Lighthouse Family. And she went, okay, got me there. <laughs> she's, not, she's not normally one to back down. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, but I remember, so music-wise, I started to um, to, to, uh, to bend my own curve when I, but I had a horrible taste in music. I think children often do. Like, I watch my five-year-old now love really surprising but yeah he's the music you love you don't think you get to choose it my first single i ever bought was cotton eye joe <laughs> Fed up and cotton eye joe. yeah and that was eight versions of the same track on that single on a cd from Woolworths. and um i do remember them being like well this is well we this is absolutely nothing to do with us so that that was very much my idea i don't think i had any other friends who condoned what i'd chosen to do there either that was me doing that yeah, on a less uncool level, I do remember once I started to be able to choose what telly I watched on my own, and that was much later in my teens, I didn't, I, I'd say all my f- friends loved friends. They'd have friends parties where they got together and watched hours of friends, and I'd be able to join them for an episode, maybe two, and then I'd be like, I'm done. Like, I don't love this like you love this. I'm not in the cult. I, League of Gentlemen's the first thing I remember watching that I didn't know anyone else who watched. I had to get, wait till I got to university to talk to anyone else who'd seen that. Those are the two cultural points, I'd say, of, of branching out on my own. One of them great, one of them not. Well, I think Cotton Eye Joe taps into the 90s love of line dancing, doesn't it? That yeah. just erupted. Yeah. Um, I also think that some of the best and some of the worst music ever is a great tagline for a radio station. Absolutely. Please do it. There was a very brief era where it was lots of music. It was very upbeat, very tinny, and it was just loads of repetition. Do you remember that Rosie Gaines? Closer than close, closer than you ever can imagine. Ooh, let's get close, closer than close. And it's that for four minutes. That's it. Like, it was a lot of that. Like, no, 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 no. It was all of that. It was like, ugh, like real factory music. But... It's still to this day, because, yeah, the age I was at when it came out, still to this day, when it comes on, I think, bugger, tune. <laughs> it's still the music they play in fairgrounds. That's the bit that yeah. baffles me, is that if you go to fairgrounds now, it's still that 90s, 93, 94, yeah. weird mm. pop dance music. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And it's really uh, funny as well, because you kind of go back to what you were saying with the, the spliffy jeans and stuff, and actually but you you weren't really a dopehead yourself. It's like there's that really weird, like, again, like, I really believe it's a Zenial thing that 
trance and dance music that was mm-hmm. so heavily entwined with drug taking was just what we listened to. <laughs> That's yeah. what you would have in a school disco. You'd have really hard <laughs> trance music, but no one was taking drugs. I've seen none of the delicious drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could we like that without them? It is mad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's anything from the uh, analogue and digital era that you would want to sort of pass on to the future, to pass on to your your children what would it be is there anything from that era where you go oh yeah that's a thing that i'd like to to keep keep up well it's a bit of a contradictory one actually and it's long gone there's no way of keeping it up now i was in a relationship with a hoarder for nine years uh who (laughs) one of the things he had an enormous amount of was um sort of holdable objects videos dvds Less CDs, but mainly DVDs and videos, like physical, physicalization, manifestations of things to watch, which is a dying thing, which I'm pleased is a dying thing because it was, there were just so many in such a small flat for so long. But so hypocritically, the thing I wish hadn't come to an end and I hope has some kind of, you know, probably hipster resurgence is the video shop. I loved going with friends when we were a bit older or parents and the arguments and just rowing and always ending up renting way more than things and you'd have time to watch. Um, uh, and then, yeah, and I worked in a video shop when I was a teenager, when I was actually, no, when I was a student in London and a really cool independent one, once it was in its death throes by the time I was in my early 20s. And I just... I thought that's an end of an era, that is. That was so fun. And the late fees, everything of it, it was a whole, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah not so rewinding I missed it that. as well. So not just the late fees, yeah. but if you hadn't rewound the tape. Furious. <laughs> <laughs> so were you working there when Netflix started posting DVDs to people? Yeah, it must have been. And I remember resisting and then eventually getting, yes, love film, I would get sent to me dvds getting posted to me by love film to start with and did that feel like you um, were um almost cheating, cheating on the old shop yeah 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 it is yeah but it wasn't like it was a particularly lovely employer the guy that owned them was turd so i didn't mind on that front but um <laughs> yeah such a turd i hope he listens um but it was um it it, it was just a culture the other people i was working with it was amazing to work with and at the time you know I was 22 I think I remember having um a real I'd considered myself a cinephile and then getting there and being like you don't know anything you've got this mass and working with people that knew so much about film and being taught so much and having a very quick sort of you know university of life degree in in great cinema and at the time had time to keep up with that you know I went I suddenly began to go and watch two three films a day some weekends with those friends and but and having the time for that to be a really important bit of my life I think it's a really cool thing and so but then obviously just life took over and I'm miles behind now and I'm 
rarely ever seen anything as it's come out, etc. Um, so do you have this like pocket yeah. of information then? Like it, yeah. I do. Like there's an era, especially because I was too until before I worked there. I hated horror because I was just too scaredy to actually watch it. And a few times I'd gone to the cinema to see scary things, even rubbish. I just hadn't watched it. I had my eyes covered for the whole scrunched clothes for the whole thing. So it's a waste of my money. And then got there and realised it's a huge genre that you can't just write off out of wussiness. Like you need and it, people were asking me stuff about these films I hadn't seen. So I gave myself a real education in horror. I got some absolute must-sees and I watched them. And then at the time, I watched the stuff as it was coming out. So it was when The Descent and Wolf Creek were coming out. That's when I was working there. So, the, yeah, I feel like I've got really vivid memories of those. Not that I... I probably make myself watch two, three horrors a year. I still, it still isn't my genre of choice. <laughs> no, that's I. I'm not a big horror person, but I think there is an era which I think overlaps with that period of yeah. sort of like friend sleepover where someone would bring one of those films. Yeah, and yeah. like the sort of yeah, the slightly the bit of the video shop that you didn't normally go to when you were there with mm. your parents. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Totally. But it's weird yeah. how because I I seem to remember that. There was more of a taboo around going to see a horror film than a really kind of sexually charged film. So I think my mum yeah. would have had more of an issue with me seeing something really gory. Because at the time yeah. as well, you had computer games coming out that were deemed to be, you know, well, it's going to ruin a generation. You know, everyone's going to turn into mass murderers. And, you know, so there was yeah, this real Yeah, there was a lot fear, of that, wasn't there? Yeah, that horror and stuff like that would kind of feed into it. Um, but I remember fondly, actually, seeing Blair Witch Project because at the time I there was still this feeling like you weren't sure if it was real or not I saw yeah, it, it was during that period that. I feel like our generation you could probably say do you remember where you first watched Blair Witch Project that was probably the first like we had a friend's dad who all our parents said no and one friend's dad went yeah I'll get it for you and he put it on a projector in like a proper like up on a wall for us and we all watched it together and really shat ourselves and then really scared each other on the walks home and jumped out each other on the walks home like Whoa! yeah well, that's a hate it at it... the time but look back funky now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think because i don't know if that would happen if that would work anymore because i think i think as a generation as a micro generation we were still gullible enough and innocent enough to maybe believe those things whereas now i feel they're a bit too savvy they just wouldn't yeah. you know come on mate yeah <laughs> <laughs> and is there anything that you regret embracing from those eras <laughs> oh dear i wish i had a bit more self-respect in terms of my choice of lovers <laughs> um i wish i'd i don't think there was any need for me to have ever tried poppers the few times i did horrid just a nasty little headache and then a little spin around and then like sort of that fear that you're on the edge of death and then suddenly it's passed. Why did anyone do that for fun? I, yeah, I, I don't think I can regret any of the clothes things because I look back and think it's so funny how we all moved in. You know, m- m- my friend Maya came in in like parallel trousers that sort of hung down in a straight line and we were like, what the fuck is Maya wearing? And then a really fit boy called Steve Legg said, Maya's ass looks amazing in those trousers. The next day, bang, new look, sold out. We all had them. Like all that stuff, I think. I love it that we did that, that we moved as a pack like that. It's sort of pathetic, but excellent. It's sort of, you look back on it now and you're like, yeah, anthropologically, that makes sense. We all did that stuff. And then we had these moments of trying to find a bit of independence and a bit of like, no, you know, I'll be the loser in a waistcoat. Like, I don't know. I don't have any regrets for any of that. I just wish I'd had a little bit more sort of self-respect in terms of 
I guess, sort of what I did with my body <laughs> a bit more. Also, I, do you know what, as well? I think I was very much of a generation who, um, and this is maybe a bit more sort of serious and in, in lots of the things I'm sort of interested in now, but we, girls especially, outside of like being on a sports team, we only ever exercised to get thin. And I had no idea at the time. I carried on with that mindset into my 30s and it ruined moving my body for me. And I, I hope and I think now there's a bit more of an emphasis. It's a bit less of a gendered emphasis with boys and girls now. And actually there's, there's a bit more r- room in how people are taught, at least about I hope in PE at least, that it's a bit more like, no, this is functional and it's fun and it's not about changing your aesthetic it's about being sort of strong and well and happy and, and what it can do for your men. So I hope that the angles on everything has changed because I, I felt like that was a really toxic motivation for exercise for me and my generation. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It feels like we did a lot of heavy lifting on that side of things. Yeah. So now young people don't have to go through that themselves. <laughs> yeah. There was no body positivity in the late 80s. There was... Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I wish I hadn't embraced all of that so hard for so long. But yeah, the absence of that, I'd say. So we've established uh, that you are undoubtedly a zenial and what sort of zenial you are. But um, to just really hammer that home, we've got some either or questions. So don't don't think hard about these. We want your your initial gut reaction, okay? Friends or Fraser? Friends. Zoe Ball or Sarah Cox? Zoe Ball. Generation Game or You Bet? Generation game. Bullseye or big break? Bullseye. Spice Girls or All Saints? Spice Girls. <laughs> oh. Take that or boy zone. Take that. Pop tarts or push pops? Pop tarts. Casio or Swatch Watch? Swatch, still got one. Naked Chef with Jamie or How to Cook with Delia? <laughs> Naked Chef with Jamie. United Colours of Benetton or Naf Naf? Naf Naf. Oh. <laughs> Every oh, single so answer you gave was so regrettable. I, well, oh, I particularly regretted All Saints and Naf Naf, but it was the honest truth. <laughs> oh, well. No, we've got a real feel for what kind of zenial you are now. That's great. great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, how can people find out what you're up to next? Um, so on... All this, like, Twitter and Instagram, I'm just at Jessica Foskey, and that's, like, where my most up-to-date stuff is. But I uh, will have, like, live show dates and live podcast dates and stuff like that all on my website, which is just jessicafosterq.com. And my podcast, as you love beautifully and kindly brought up earlier, is called Hoovering. It's all about eating. Thank you so Great. much for doing that. That was so Pleasure. brilliant. That was fascinating. So, thanks yeah, for having it me. Brilliant. It was really fun. <laughs> And that was Jessica Foster Q. There was a lot more oral health chat on there than I expected. Yeah, there was. I, I absolutely <laughs> loved that. I loved speaking to Jess. That was really fun um, and really interesting. And yes, we did cover the dentist thing. And after it, I phoned my parents and I said, what was the whole deal with the uh, dentist in Neath and his scheme? And my mum said that it was called Neath 2000, I think is what she said it was called. (laughs) And I think the idea was no, I don't know, no fillings by the year 2000. They can't have hit that. I've walked through Neath. I've seen what (laughs) I remember when we were all eating as kids. They didn't make that nowhere near. Uh, Do do you have um, fillings? I do have fillings. Um, I have two fillings. I let Wonder Bunny down. The mascot of um, the dentist that I used to go to, yeah, mm. yeah. You, you, but you, you look scornful enough 
to make me think you don't have fillings. Oh, not a one. Really? You, you, yeah. You've managed to make it all the way through with... No, I had one on my on one of my back teeth, um, the baby t- teeth, when I was... I had it done when I was about nine or something. But then obviously that came out. Um, so, yeah, not at all. I've got great teeth. <laughs> I feel like that's cheating, though. I feel like having a filling and then on a tooth that comes out and going like, I've got no fillings. It's like, yeah, okay, you haven't dented this car. <laughs> I think that's, um, I think that's sort of getting away with this on a technicality. Okay, yeah. If that makes you feel better, I, I, <laughs> I think the bunny would have something to say about it. Wonder Bunny, call him by his proper name. Sorry, um, Wonder Bunny. So, <laughs> Wonder... I could draw Wonder Bunny for you now. I, he is ingrained into my into my mind. I could draw him, and we will put him up on the socials. Yeah. We should. We've got a few things we want to do before the end of the episode. Um, do you have any messages that you want to read out that have come in via email? The Daniel Dome at hotmail dot com. So I had a message from Bree on Twitter who asked whether we were on Napster. And she has a point. Can you be on Napster? I think it's completely defunct. <laughs> well, no, no. I know it's not completely defunct. I don't know what Napster is these days. I don't know. If you go to Napster, I don't know what it is. I don't know. But I found out that someone who I knew from many, many years ago has made a shed load of money doing stocks and shares. And I was like, oh, come on. I want a piece of this. So I... In a moment of supreme arrogance, downloaded that free trade app, which is mm-hmm. the one where you get like you can buy shares and stuff. So I went on there, and for some reason, probably because your phone's constantly watching you, looking what you're googling, and we are constantly looking up stuff about Xennials. <laughs> it was like, do you want to buy shares in Napster? And I was like, okay. <gasps> so I bought something ridiculous, like two hundred and fifty shares in Napster for two pound fifty. And let me tell you how I'm getting... I'm going to log on to my account now and see how my Napster shares are doing. Let's check out my portfolio. This is so tense. I'm very grown up to have a portfolio as well. I have 185 shares in Napster. (laughs) Which I imagine is all of Napster, to be honest. (laughs) Which... And I bought them for £2.50. And the current value is £2.40. So, but look at that graph. Napster, it's a real roller coaster owning a piece of Napster. Look at that since I owned it. We've gone from the highest point was 1.8 pence a share, plummeting now to 1.3 pence a share. So it's, I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel, well, I I feel like a proper 80s trader, you know, with my... With my Napster shares and my fun facts. I really feel... (laughs) I really would love it if now the podcast listeners suddenly started investing in Napster based on your tip and we crashed the market somehow. That was, like, like, let me make this super clear. Because you've got apparently... (laughs) The the very little I know about stocks and shares is that the moment anyone says stocks and shares, they go, this is not investment advice. Like, I've... I mean, I I can't explain how new to this world I am, and I've heard the phrase "this is not investment advice" more than any other <laughs> sentence in my life. Um, so let me make this clear for reasons I don't quite understand. I've got to tell you that this is not investment advice. That seems to be more important than what you actually put your money into. But um, yeah, Napster is it, what a ridiculous thing that that was what I found. Um, Amazing. 
But yeah, I mean, if you want to join the party, we could GameStop this bad boy. I don't even know what GameStop was. I don't know what they did. It was a load of people on Reddit. And But if, if we can do the same for Napster, that'd be a bit of a laugh, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Do it. Bye-bye, sell-sell, or whatever it is. That, 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 that'll fund you your Edinburgh show. <laughs> um, was there anything else or just people wanting to find out if we can get onto other absolutely obsolete platforms? Someone got in touch to say that they could really identify um, with Nish in his episode when he talks about looking around at work and realising that you're the adult in the room suddenly. <laughs> I think we've all had that moment, haven't we? Yeah, that's it. Do you know what that person does for a living? They organise events. I've been in a similar situation where I've been given like an intern or someone like that in work and I've been a bit like, I have nothing to teach this person. <laughs> I'm barely surviving on a daily basis as it is. <laughs> um, we've had a message that I did now we've had a few messages along these lines so I feel like this so I've picked one but this feels like something that I've seen a few times that we've had come in which is uh, Alex sent this despite being born in 1990 I do have a Hotmail account I did ask Jeeves and I still remember my best mate's landline number so what am I? And those are all the things that are in the description of this podcast, aren't they? Which are meant to sort of like signify Xenials. But Alex was born in 1990, so he wonders like what what he falls into. He was born in 1990? He was born in 1990. And he did all he those things. He must have been like two years old doing all that stuff. When I saw that, I did sort of sympathise with him a bit because I was like, yeah, okay, I'm a Xenial. But then... Last month, I presented a documentary about Harry Seacombe. So I feel like... I feel like these are all very sort of blurred boundaries at the best of times. Yeah, but does he mention... He doesn't mention anything analogue in there, does he? Uh, landline numbers. Landline oh. numbers. He remembers his best mate's landline number. But then I still have a landline number because I'm rural. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. Okay. I feel like there's a term for people who are Xenials, but who are not Xenials in terms of when they were born, but have all the all the baggage that comes with being a Xenial. <laughs> yeah. That that really made it sound like it's a lot more, um, <laughs> a lot deeper than it is. We're talking about a group of people who just remember waiting for the internet to start. <laughs> uh, you and our producer have suggested the word proto Xenial, which I'm happy with. I'll go with that. It's not sexy, but, you know. Feel free to suggest something. TheZennialDome at Hotmail.com uh, or you can get hold of us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or MySpace. Yes. Well um, done for remembering them all. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's all the way. And, if something and is too next. many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely too many. It's definitely too many. Um, so, oh, and also, actually, talking of MySpace, we do need to say as well that if... Um, so on MySpace, we've mentioned this before, but on MySpace, you put songs that you like on MySpace? Yes, you can link songs onto onto your page. Um, I don't know what the MySpace library is like. As I'm explaining this, I'm, I, I'm understanding why MySpace died as a platform. Like, as <laughs> I'm sort of going like, so there's this thing where you can put, like, songs on it. And you're like, oh, God, this sounds so bleak. So you can put songs on your MySpace page and it would be nice to have a set of songs that felt zenially. 
Can I suggest one? Yeah, it's your podcast. Dina Carroll and Don't Be a Stranger. It just reminds me of last dances in school discos, which, looking back, were awful, awkward things. But at the time, just very exciting. I have a lot of good memories of last dances in schools. So I, I would like to add that. If you've got any suggestions for the songs to put onto the MySpace page that represent Xenialism, uh, then send us a message to thezenialdome at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking to forward me. to the Xenial Dome album coming out. Oh, that's a good idea. Wouldn't that be, like, be nice? Yeah, let's be like Friends Reunited. Let's <laughs> sort of release a set of compilation albums and then just crash and burn. <laughs> What's more Xenial than that? I'd be so happy. <laughs> I think that's a genuine, genuinely good ambition. We're going to release a compilation album. We're going to release it on CD and cassette, two formats that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> and mini disc. And, and we're going to bankrupt this operation on that idea alone. Yes. I love it. I'm going to be th- I'm already thinking about what kind of uh, artwork we would have. I think we do it like speaker box the love below and we me and you get one disc each. <laughs> <gasps> yes, like George Michael ladies and gentlemen. So we had like yeah. one for one for the feet and one for the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think I think we get one one disc each and and then we get to curate that disc based on what people suggest. But there's there will definitely be like one that I look after and one that you look after. Mine would all be songs that you snog to and yours would all be jingles. Yeah, mine, <laughs> mine would be television ident. No, I'll tell you what mine would be, genuinely. The launch music from HTV Wales. Um, the <laughs> bit of music at the start of TVAM. Actually, do you know, I just like that HTV like blah, 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 blah thing that used to come up at the start of programmes on HTV Wales. We'll definitely do that. We'll have all the ITV jingles all the way up. And we'll do okay. Granada as well, because yeah. I used to go to North Wales and you'd get that there. Um, there's a great set of Radio Wales jingles from the 80s, which Mal Pope did, which are absolutely mad. So we'll definitely have those. Um, so do get in touch with us with your ideas for what's going to be on our MySpace page slash compilation album that will bankrupt this operation on <laughs> the zenyildo at hotmail.com um, or you can go, get us on Twitter, Facebook MySpace and Bebo <laughs> Bye Bye <laughs>